What the Frap. I'm your host, Jay Zilla, and with me today is Manny. Yeah. That definitely has to defeat. And what about how many times? I think, because, you know, we both talked about some training before, and I've talked about this before, and people have probably talked over all, all four of my uh, viewers out there. Um, yeah, so I had some training, and that study that's often referenced to say that it takes so many seconds, like two point whatever seconds, for your brain to tell your hand to stop doing what it's doing. And so instead of saying, like, hey, you know, try to snap out of it as soon as possible, we were trained to, within that time frame, get as many shots off as you can. And it's just like, you know, that's that's the, you know, that's that was the one thing that made me just kind of go, whoa, like, why is that a thing? You know, uh, I saw a video where a guy who had a knife and he's screaming obscenities at the officer and the officer's drawn to a low ready. And he's using his voice, right, very loudly, very forcefully telling him to put the weapon down and, you know, giving him, uh, you know, giving him instructions. And, you know, the guy, once he makes a move towards him, the officer shoots him one time. Bow. And it's like, you know, he's still using his voice still, you know, but he, it was just one shot. And the guy was down and it stopped him. And he still had his gun drawn at a low ready, still using his voice. And then once he um, was able to get over there and kick the, the weapon away, he was able to cuff him. And, and this guy went home. This one, or, you know, the guy went to jail, and this guy went home. And then you can see him, the further footage shows other officers showing up and him just walking in through. And, and one of the things that happened was, you know, why didn't you shoot him? Uh, why didn't you get more shots off? It's like, well, you know, he was down. You know, and so I, I don't know, man. That's tough to see that like, a person who's out there trying to like not trying to, you know, just because training says you can or or a study shows that, you know, this is what happens in the brain. You're not taking advantage of that. It's someone who values human life no matter where they come from. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's that's not really not really talk to you and in, 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 in those type of positions when you're a police officer or you're. A correctional officer. Mm. I don't think they really put that in. That like, these are people just like you. You know, you're gonna deal with. They're just another person. You know, and you shouldn't be. You know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. You know, you need to evaluate the situation at a higher level. You're you're in a position where critical thinking is at the utmost important. You have to be a master of critical thinking. You're gonna have to have to make good decisions in a, you know, sometimes a very, you know, in a split second, you have to make an intelligent decision, and that officer shot one time, and that's, you know, that's good, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that they were, he was able to assess the situation that, and, you know, in that manner, and not, you know, and end up not killing that person, I mean, that one bullet could have killed that other person, no matter where you hit them, but, but, you know, we're able to make that decision that they're stopping the action, I was not trying to kill them, you know? You know, and you know, I mean, that's what they. I mean, they train you that, and in my police academy, you're shooting to stop the action, mm -hmm. whatever that may be. You know, it may be a stop the action, may be death, or maybe just shooting them just to stop whatever they're doing. But, but I, I don't know. Like that was like the last thing that I ever wanted to do. Was the last thing I ever wanted to do when I was a police officer is ever have to shoot somebody. Mm -hmm. I hated having to pull my gun out and point at somebody. It was that's the last thing that I ever wanted to do. And being that, it's like, because of how, like, like, taking somebody, like, having the ability to take somebody's life is, like, 
one of the, you know, it's one of the hardest things in the world to that has to do. You know, it's it's a complicated thing. It's a messy thing. But they don't train you for those things. They don't train you to how. I remember before I went to police academy, I read a book called on. It was called On Killing, I think it was called, and it was about how they taught throughout. It was about an author wrote about how they were able to train soldiers to be able to actually shoot and aim at people, be able to kill somebody, and like through like the first and second world war when they surveyed um, when they surveyed um, um, soldiers, they actually. Well, for every time you were pointing your gun, were you pointing it at somebody? Were you just pointing your gun and just pulling the trigger and hoping for the best? And it was like only like 20% or 10% of the people in the first couple world wars, World War One, World War Two, were actually pointing and shooting at somebody. You know, I was pointing and shooting at somebody to kill them. The other people, the vast majority of them were like infantrymen were just pointing their gun and just pulling the trigger. Like, I'm just going to pull the trigger and hope for the best. And then by like, by the time Vietnam came around, like it was like ninety five percent of the men were saying that the soldiers were saying that I was pulling that trigger and I was pointing at somebody and I was trying to kill that person. Like how were they able to do that? You know, they're able to train soldiers to be able to do that in a short amount of time and like, you know, those are all those wars when people were being drafted. Like you were told you have to go. Like you're getting pulled up, you graduate high school, you're an able bodied male, guess what? You're you're getting your skin shipped off to boot camp in eight weeks. You're gonna be you're gonna be on the front line. You know, after you finish your boot camp, you're gonna be shipped out. You know, and how were they able to do that? So I was like, man, like, because I was in my head, like, this may be something I may have to do. Like, I have to be, I have to have the mindset to be to be able to do this, to be able to now point my gun at somebody and shoot them. You know, and they don't prepare you for those things. They don't tell you you should read this book or you should do this. How are you going to be able to deal with that once you once you've actually shot somebody? What kind of what kind of you know what you're going to have to do after that? Like talk to somebody, talk to psychologists because taking somebody's life is a serious thing. It's a serious serious thing. They don't train you that. They it's kind of really freaking nonchalant in the law enforcement, mm-hmm. including the police department. It's like this is what you have to do. You point your gun at them, and they're doing something that's threatening your life or somebody else's life. You pull the trigger, you know. You shoot two times, reassess. Shoot two times, reassess. Shoot two times, reassess. Bullshit. And making it so, like, it's this willy-nilly thing. Like, hey, let's just go out there, and if this happens, it happens. And it's like, no, this is, like, a legit serious thing. Like, you've been given the ability to shoot somebody, mm-hmm. you know? Well, you know, and have a legal authority to do this. Why are we not preparing these men with more training, better better critical thinking skills to go out there so they don't have to do this. Money, they don't have lack to, of bodies. They never have to get to this situation, yeah, you but, know? But there are, there, are diff- there are a myriad of different reasons of why, you know, the best aren't out there. The biggest thing that you said was, as an officer, I never wanted to shoot a person. Those are the people that we need on the street. Just like we need a president who's just like, man, I don't, I don't want to be president. I feel like I can work and do so much more, you know, on the lower levels. That's the person I want to be president, who's, the, you know, almost the reluctant king, so, so to speak. Yeah. But I, know, I don't know about your training, but ours was very hyperactive. It was all worst-case scenario and, hey, quick. And then it was also error on the side of discharging your firearm. We'd rather see you go home. We'll make sure you go home. We'll take care of all the legal stuff. Don't worry about that. We want you to go home. Yeah, we like, care about you. Yeah, they used to do the same thing, too. When I was there, they, they would tell you, I'd rather be judged by 12 than 
yeah. then being held up or, or being held by, by six. Held by six or carried by six, yeah. Yeah, yeah. carried by six or – and then I'd rather be, you know, judged by 12 or being carried by six. I'm like – so the, it's almost like they are putting that mindset into you that, hey, you know what? Shoot first, ask questions later. When it should be ask questions, shoot second, you know? Ask more questions, you know, because in my time, like, it was a very short amount of time that I was a police officer. Like, there's some, you know, scary situations where I thought I, w- I was going to have to shoot somebody. But something always said, you know, I don't have to do this. I don't have to right now. It's not meeting that criteria. But I also told myself, too, I'd rather die because I made a bad decision and not use discharging my firearm than discharging my firearm improperly and killing somebody that shouldn't have been, or shooting somebody that shouldn't have been shot. I would rather, that's why. That's a tough thing, man. And and look, that's why you're the type that, you know, we want out there ideally. Um, But with lack of funding and stuff, I know uh, I was talking to someone else about the training, and they should be, have to go through at least as much training as a medical professional, professional, right? Uh, or as far as the work schedule, you're on so yeah. often that you off so often to train, you know, and that's weapons training. That's uh, de-escalation tactics. Uh, I like, you know, talk about your boy Yang. He's got this ideal of every police officer should at least have a purple belt. And yeah, and jiu-jitsu. Yeah, yeah. jiu-jitsu. So. Yeah, I, I think that's true because you'll – I've dealt with police officers that right. – but once they, because once they say, once you put your hands on somebody, you can't go back. You can't go back once you put your hands on somebody. So they were afraid to put their hands on on somebody. So they'd rather use other tools like tasing somebody, like using their baton, use their OC spray. Mm-hmm. They'd rather use all those things than actually putting their hands on somebody because they were afraid that once I put my hands on myself, this person might have the advantage over me. They might be stronger, faster, better trained than me. So I'll just use these other tools so I don't have to actually. So I'll, you know, I'll hinder them in some manner, and then I can put my hands on them, and I have the advantage when I thought to myself that I'd rather put my hands on somebody than use these other tools, because I felt like I had, I could have had a taser, but I didn't, because I thought it was inhumane. I had to, I mean, we had the option, but there really wasn't an option when you're in the police academy to be tased. Like, you, you, know, you don't have to be tased. You know, you go through the training, you take the little test, you do the shoot the taser into a cardboard silhouette and then you're certified to use a taser. But at the end of that, they're like, you you know, you can be tased if you want to, but there's no choice. But, you know, you technically have a choice. Like, no, I don't want to be tased, but you have to. It's because the group, they know the group, everybody's doing it, so you better not be the guy that's not getting, you know, tased. So when when I got hit with the taser, it hurt for five seconds. Like, I'm like, this is inhumane to have this tool. I'm like, this is why do we have this tool? I'm never, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna use this. Like, you know. And then the same thing with like my baton. Like, I had there's certain things that had to be on my duty belt. I had to have a baton on my duty belt. I had to have one pair of handcuffs. I had to have a gun with two magazines, mm-hmm. and I had to have OC spray on me. And I had, oh, I, I had a bow recorder too. All that stuff was required to be on there. I had a little screw where my baton was at. I screwed that thing down so I, if I ever got in a scuffle, nobody could pull my baton out of my belt mm. and use it against me. And I had the OC spray that I had to have on there. But I told myself I was never going to use my baton. I was never going to. I was never going to OC spray anybody because these are tools that are inhumane to use against somebody else. So you know, I have, you know, any situation, huh? In your opinion, is that in any situation you were just like, 
No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I don't, I don't, I'd rather put my hands on somebody and get, because the vast majority of people are just trying to get away from you. They're fighting you to get away from you. Mm -hmm. So the moment you stop fighting them, they're going to take off, mm -hmm. you know? So, so all these other things. So if I put my hands on somebody and we're rolling around and I lose control and they take, they're trying to get away from me. Very few people are trying to stay in the fight and they're not trying to get the advantage and trying to kill you, you know, mm -hmm. or trying to hurt you. Now they're going to stay there and keep punching you. No, they're going to punch you and take off. Like mm -hmm. they don't want to be there. They're trying to get away from you. They don't want to, they don't want to be in this situation anymore. But I'll tell you very quickly. People are just trying to get away from me. So if I put my hands on somebody and they squirm out and get away, I can chase them, you know, they're not staying there and continually trying to hurt me. They're trying to run away from me. They're hurting me to get away from me, you know, potentially. That's how I looked at it. Very rarely are people there trying to stay in the fight with you to now inflict more damage on you than you can do to them. And I also told myself I was never going to punch, kick, or any of those things. I was going to use my defensive tactics and stuff that trained me. How to get positional advantage, how to get on top, you know, how to get control of arms, how to use, you know... You know, you know, different pressure points, all these things. I was going to use all of those things that they taught me. Like, all those things that did not require me punching or kicking or any of those things. Mm. I was like, I'm going to use these. And those are super effective techniques. I use them. I use these things. Like, these are so effective. But you see all these police officers, and once it gets into a hairy situation, they're pulling out their gun shooting somebody. And it's yeah. like, you don't, you don't get that. You, that's not a situation. Like, just because you're getting your ass kicked by somebody... Doesn't mean how you get to shoot somebody. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. But they, they always use the same thing. I was in fear for my life. So now it met the criteria to shoot somebody. You know? And that's not okay. Like that purple balance jujitsu is the best thing possible. Yeah, because most for people don't know how to fight. Most, that's one of the things I learned. In, I did some boxing training. That's one thing I learned very quickly is that I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> You know, the way they had to teach me how to punch and every like, he just let me kind of, uh, when you know, you first go in, it's just like, all right, just get in there, let me see what you got, you know. And, just, and then, when you look over, you see the trainer kind of going like, what? No, stop, 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 stop. You know, this guy, I was in the south, you know, in Tennessee, so it was really so stop, stop, stop. What are you doing? Why are you in just this long list of stuff of just how to throw a punch? And I think that's most people. So when you're dealing with you know criminals, especially in a heightened uh, state of mind because of the situation, uh, the purple belt, man, it, that's going to take care of a lot of stuff. You training because you go in there like you, like I thought, like yeah, hey, I'm pretty good. Like I'm pretty good. Like I have some. I remember some of the defensive tactics moves they taught me in the police department. I should be able to hang. <laughs> you walk in there and then you see this 150 pound. Guy, he's like, I, I, I got him. Like, he's a white belt. I'm a white belt, too. Like, he's got a few stripes on there. You go there, next thing you know, like, you're getting choked. Or you're getting your arm taken. You you know? Yeah. I'm like, how does this happen? Like, because they just have a, they know a few more things than you do. You know? Mm -hmm. You do. So, then it's like, it's, it's, it's humbling. It's really humbling. And it also, too, it takes that, um, that fear way of putting your hands on somebody. You know? Like, you know what this feels like now. I know that when I grab somebody's wrist... Yeah. What this is going to be like. I'm doing this over and over. Every time I go to class, I'm going to be have my hands on somebody. I'm going to be have physical connection to somebody. Mm -hmm. Like you, and now it becomes not a scary thing. So if you're out on the street as a police officer, you know, now you have to put your hands on somebody. 
Now I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like to be on the bottom with somebody who's twice as big as me. Or I know what it feels like to, you know, when somebody's on my back or if I'm on my side, I'm, I'm in this disadvantaged situation. I know what this feels like. So now I don't, now I, now I can make informed decisions now. I can be, a, I can still use my critical thinking. Yeah, I can still think in this scenario that I know what this feels like. And I think that's really what a lot of these police officers end up making bad decisions is because they don't know what it feels like. They don't, they get scared, you know? We, we, I remember my police training, we had, um, it was called Officer Survival. Basically, it was like they had actors playing, you know, acting out scenarios that you're going to see as a police officer out on the street. And I remember we go in there, it could be, you're knocking on the door, and you knock on the door, and some lady answers the door and says, my husband just hit me in the face. And you see the guy back there, and he's like, I'm going to kill you guys. You know? You're like, oh, no, i got to go in there. i got to move out of the way, and now i got to put my hands on this guy. i got to see you assess the situation, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so you're acting out these scenarios. And I remember two of the guys that went acting out scenarios were, like, scared. They were, like, showing, like, actual fear. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at them. I'm like, this is fake. These are actors. Mm -hmm. We're not dying today. Like, if we're not going to die. Like, if we die today, it's because of some unforeseen accident. It's not because right. an actor killed me today. You know, it's because, of, you know, we're walking by and a freaking AC unit falls on us. If we're going to die today, you know, it's some freak accident. This actor's not going to kill you. This actor doesn't have a real gun. This actor doesn't have a real knife, you know. Right. This actor really didn't hit this person, you know, didn't commit this domestic violence today. Like, and you're scared right now. Like... I don't think you should be a police officer. Because if actors are scaring you, what happens when the real thing happens? Like, like you're really going to, you're going to make bad decisions. And both those guys shot people pretty quickly right out of the academy. They shot somebody. You know? So I was like, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. You know? And that's the thing, too. You, you get them used to it, like you said. But that means more training, right? The more, more training, training yeah. The more they're able to assess the situation. And even if they find themselves beneath someone bigger, they're able to calmly... Maneuver, get control of the situation instead of just jumping oh, yeah. to straight to pull your weapon. So look, I'm gonna get back to fear then, because the fear on one side of the scenario is, oh man, how much would you have thought that? So the fear for one side is if I don't, oh man, I had somewhere I was going with that. I'm trying to figure out how do we, how do you still, okay, so how are you, um, not confident, how are you, <laughs> I'm really drawing a blank here, let's see, oh, how do you feel, like, grateful for police, but then you can also say, but I got a few pointers, right? So on one side, you don't want to feel like you're giving up anything or putting yourself in more danger on the police side. On the civilian side, you don't want to feel in danger from the people who are supposed to be protecting and serving you. So how do you show appreciation and feeling, and look, you're necessary. I don't want to defund you. You know, I don't want um, you to be just looked at as, as, a, as, a, as a whole as being evil or anything like that. And at the same time, some of y'all need to get something and, you know, get your act together. Like, how do you accomplish that? I, I, I think, years. I think, I don't know, that's a hard question because I think also acknowledging that this job is, is one of the hardest jobs 
that anybody can have, mm-hmm. you know, be given the duty to strip somebody's constitutional rights away from them. It's a, it's, it's a real serious, important job to have, you know, can't be taken lightly. Right, I mean, that's huh? the part that's kind of, it's kind of blown out of proportion, right? Uh, isn't that the small, like, the main job is to protect and serve, and sometimes yeah. you have to strip those rights away in order to protect and serve, you know, people who are yeah. obeying the law. So, it, yeah, I mean, your, your job is to protect and serve, and if you have to take somebody's, have the ability to take somebody's constitutional rights away from them, you need to take them away in a way that's legal and ethical and appropriate, mm-hmm. you know, you need to be able to do that. But I think, back to the other question that you have, is that, I think acknowledging that the hardest job available, you know, that's one of the hardest jobs that's out there, and and recognizing that you, that mistakes are being made because of lack of training, because lack of training, lack of diversity training, lack of working in communities, not having police officers that have come from those specific communities, having mm-hmm. cultural and, and, and area knowledge, how, the, how important those things are, how trust, how community policing and trust, the community, the building, be able to build that trust. Not sitting in your car. Like, that's the biggest thing. How, how do you build trust when your whole time your people see you as sitting behind a wheel inside of a car? Mm-hmm. You know? Not getting out. Not getting out of your car. Not walking around the community. Not stopping at the park when you see some kids playing basketball and introducing yourself and shooting a few hoops with the kids. Like, showing that you're actually a real person, too. I'm a real person just like you, mm-hmm. but I just have a different job than you do. You know? You know, so I, I think it's about building that trust back is one of its lost. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, minority communities have been, could tell you this for since the beginning of law enforcement, that there's been no trust in what the police officers have been doing. Mm-hmm. I think now, I think that you see with the advent, you know, of cell phone footage and stuff like that, that people are seeing what, what it actually looks like, what law enforcement, how, how in your community, in your suburban community, how, how law is enforced in that community is a lot different than it is in, in, in these lower-income, more minority-populated um, communities. How, how the cop acts in that community is completely different than how the cop acts in your, in your, in your picket-white-fence suburb. There's two different police officers that are working, right. you know? Right. So how law, how law is enforced, if, they, if, they, if the police officer who's enforcing law in the hood Enforce law the same way in that white picket fence suburb. Mm. Oh, it would be, it would be phone calls this and another. They're doing this right. terrible thing this and another. So if you have to enforce the law the same way you do in a white picket fence community as you do in the hood, you know that's what you have to. That's what has to has to happen. It has to be that way. It has to be just because somebody lives in this neighborhood, I enforce the law differently. That's that's. It can't be that way, and it has to be totally police officers. Like, you have to do things differently. The trust is lost in what you're doing. Because if people can't trust you to do your job correctly, mm-hmm. you can't do your job, you know? You can't be effective in your position. So we need to change. We need to get you, we need, like, we need to get you in the schools. We need to get you at the park. We need mm-hmm. you to go introduce yourself to the business owners in the strip mall. We need you to, you know... Shake hands and kiss babies out there because nobody trusts what you're doing, you know. And we need to, we need to do those things. And you need more training. And I think that's one of the things. Like defunding the police, I think is, I think we could take a lot of things off their plate. Would make a lot, would make a, would make their job a lot less stressful. I'll tell you that. Like, or add, I give them more opportunity to do, have more time to work with people. Like, 
if we, a lot of stuff that you do, like, you take a burglary report, you know, it's taking you, like, 15, 20 minutes to talk to somebody about how all their, you know, taking inventory, yeah, I got my lawnmower stolen, I got this stolen, I got my TV taken, you're doing all this stuff, do we really need a police officer to do that, or can we have somebody else who can come and take that report? So now that takes that off the queue for that police officer to now spend more time, you know, with a domestic violence person who just experienced the domestic violence incident. You know, it's now they have more time, so they don't. So now they're not just feeling rushed from call to call to call because, you know, so I'm not going to put in that extra amount of time. Who's somebody who needs a police officer to be there? Who needs to be able to take a good, take a good, good, good interview with the, of the victim of that crime? Right. You know. You know, every car, I mean, they, they're starting to do some things like that, but you take a lot of these things off their plate, it would also take the level of stress because people, who's obviously just like everybody else. If they're stressed out, they're going to make bad decisions. So if we have them stressed out all the time, how do we expect them to make good decisions? You know? They're doing way too much, or they have too much to do, right? Too many responsibilities. Too much to do. You know, and too much we can take all those things out, or, or having extra help when there's, you're going to somebody to a mental health incident. Which is one of the one of the situations that one is the most dangerous for a police officer is the mental health situation because people are going to act out in ways that aren't normal, you know, because they're not in the right state of mind, you know, they're acting out in ways that can be dangerous for you. Right. But if you have somebody who's a trained professional, who's a you know a, a person who deals with those type of things, a therapist or a social worker mm-hmm. or somebody who deals with these specific things that goes with the police officer to these situations, can can recognize that hey. This person is in a state that needs a higher level of care. You, this is how we're going to be able to work this first, de-escalate the situation to be able to get them to the place where they can get treatment. Instead of sending these two guys who got, uh, you know, got a four-hour block of de-escalation training of a mental health person. Right. Four hours, and now you expect to be able to solve every mental health incident that's out there on the street? You know, what do you expect to happen? It's going to be... It's not going to get conducted correctly the vast majority of times. Or they're going to use whatever they feel their best level of skill is. And if they feel like, you know, shooting is the best skill that day, guess what? They're going to start shooting that person, you know? So you're talking about, so, okay, you're getting some more education to help with, to be able to do more in legislation. Um, talk to me about the, I guess, uh, not equality, again, equi- equity, right? The equity of, uh, like you were talking about, policing from one neighborhood differs from policing in another neighborhood. Uh, like, I mean, if you expand that out, roads are different. You know, schools and the school supplies are different. With that gum, Burger King, you know, we all have a, a Burger King or McDonald's where we're like, oh, let's go to the good one. You know, like, yeah. how come those things are, are still so different? And how can we uh, have more equity? Uh, I would say it's, it's how we allocate funds. That's where, how equity is going to happen. Uh-huh. We recognize this community needs more funds to to um, to solve these problems. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not. They need. They need to have the best teachers. They need to have the access to the more dif- uh, more available services that are connected. They need all these things. These communities. Don't need this stuff. They got their streets paved. They have the best school teachers in that in that community. Like they have everything. They have all the advantages. Why is why does this community now get just get the crap end over here? We need to 
have more money that needs to be put in these communities and needs to be needs to be a whole level of people that are supervising these things like hey we need we need more books we need to have more available to after school programs for how people tutor them and reading and math and science and all the different subjects we need to have all these things available to these this specific group because they're not getting this they're not meeting the mark they're not their, their success rates are lower we need to we need to do these things we need to now have police officers not in the school as enforcers but are there to introduce themselves and be like hey i'm you know um, you know, I'm Tom, or I'm, you know, I'm, or, or, or people from that community, recruiting police officers from that community, when they see, hey, I remember Tim, he was my neighbor, now he's a police officer, he's a cool guy, or, you know, Mary, she's, she grew up around the, a block over from me, she's a real cool person, she's always, you know, I knew she was going to do great things, you know, have that person, all these things are, like, when you don't have a, a, a police department that represents its community, that represents uh, has a good diversity, a good cross-section, how do you expect them to know how to do the work of these communities? You know, to know that, you know, know the culture, you know? It's, it's, that, it's that, you know, what, what the president got rid of, you know, diversity training. You know, the president got rid of diversity training within the federal government because he said it was, it was racist against white people. I'm like, what? Like... <laughs> So now we get no diversity training. Now we get nothing because it was hurting white people. Like that's an issue here. That's the I do not see this it. issue. Not improving it, but just uh, we just gotta get rid of it. You know, it's just I don't know, but I think more money needs to be allocated. More services need to be allocated. We need to be paving these roads in these communities. We need to be this community because what it is is that these people and those community and the white picket fence communities, the suburbs. They have high incomes, they know politicians, and they know how to get what they want. They have high expectations, because if you let them down, somebody's going to hear about it. Where it should be the other way down. When you're letting down this community who doesn't have, doesn't have advantages, doesn't have the good school teachers, doesn't have the good roads, doesn't have the good schools, doesn't have, you know, doesn't have freaking fresh fruit, they're living a, a food desert in their community, you know? We need to be in that community changing these things because how do we expect the quality ever to happen if we're living? People are living in two different worlds. So how you know? do you besides the like besides the census, right? How do we figure out how to? I mean, how those funds decide upon how to allocate them? How, how do they? How do they decide that? Yeah, how do they decide? Like besides the census, because I know the census is like a ten-year thing nationally done. But how do we know who gets what money and why? Like, especially on the local level. On the local level, I would say it's who your representative is, how effective your representative. That's why voting is is important. Your representative of your community, like in a city council, who's representing their district. If you have an ineffective representative, it's going to see on what happens in your community. If they're getting, if they're not, and they're not there fighting for their community. Because everybody's fighting for this, the same pot of cash here. Everybody's, you know, you have five city council members. They're fighting over the same cash for their community because every, every community needs certain things. But I think you need to look at what communities need the most help. This community, this, this city council community needs a lot of help. They need their roads fixed. They need their schools fixed. They need to have, you know... They need their bridges fixed, they need more infrastructure, they need more, you know, they need more after-school programs, they need all these things, and it needs to be 
based on that. Like, hey, your community's not, and the only way you can do that is gathering data. Like, gathering gathering data, looking at looking at the school test scores of the kids, looking at their reading scores, looking at, you know, driving in that community and seeing that, hey, this road's got a bunch of potholes in it. We should really fix these things, you know? But that's, you know, but it's, we have ineffective leaders and they need to be held accountable. If you don't do something, you need to leave. Because you're not doing anything for us by being in a position where you have the ability to influence change and you're not doing anything. So if you don't do anything, you need to get to step in. Get out. We don't have time for this. Yeah, you know? Our job? Isn't that our job? Yeah, it's our job. And it needs to be pointed out. You need to point out. You are ineffective as a leader. Get out. We don't need you. Step down. Like, we need that. But I feel like a lot of people get stuck and they get like, well, I voted in last time. I guess I'll vote for him this time. You know, like, I thought that, like, when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez challenged the sitting Democrat for that district, she was a Democrat, she said to, I'm going to primary that, that representative who's been, I don't know how many years, like 20 years has represented her, her district in New York. She's like, I'm going to challenge him because he's been that, I think Crowley, his last name was Crowley, he was ineffective as a leader. Our community needs help, our schools suck, our streets suck, we're you know, the real situation, you're not getting it done. Like, you're not getting it done. I'm going to run against you, and I'm going to show you that I can get it done. And we, we need up because there's people's lives now. Like, there's such a big divide between the rich and the poor in this country, a huge divide, that we don't got time anymore for people to sit on the pot and not do anything. Like, you get into a position, you need to do something. If you're not doing something, you need to know that it's going to be customary that somebody's going to run against you. In your own party, if you're a Democrat, you're not getting something done, get ready for another Democrat that's going to primary you. If you're a Republican and you're not doing something, you know, you're not doing something right, get ready for a Republican to freaking run against you. You know, there's going to be opposition. It could be three people against you. You know, two other people are always going to be running against you. Always going to expect that. If you're not getting something done, but we don't. And I've been a lot of two, and especially in, in poor communities. They don't know where to complain. They don't know how to complain. They've never done that before. They don't know that they can go to a city council meeting and have two minutes to say that my my representative, my city council member is not doing anything in my community, and I'm going to let them know, like, hey, hey, Tom, you're my representative. I voted for you. We still got potholes on my street. What are you doing, bro? Like, you going to get that fixed? Have you done anything about this? Well, how do you like, get that out there? How do you get that sort of message out there? Because how many seats, I mean, yeah, how many seats go unopposed? You know, how do we... I, I would say, I would say a, a, a lot of... A, I would say all the time, I would say it'd be like... Most of we use Albuquerque. You know, Albuquerque's a good one. I think they have like five city council members. Maybe a, maybe a few more. Maybe six or seven. Mm. But about, we'll go with five. Um, and um, they're like... they've been, Some of those city council members have been there for generation after generation after generation. They've been there for... I don't know how many election cycles. 10, 15 years they've been there. And they haven't, they're not really doing anything. It's because people, they're just, you know, they're just not controversial. They're not freaking, they're not ruffling any feathers. So we'll just vote for them that person again, you know? But it's really, it's really these, it's really that groundwork. It's people taking the time to understand what's happening, you know? I think that's why, like, community organizing is so important. Having somebody in your community that, goes and tracks down what time the city council meeting's at, you know, tells the community at the, you know, 
at church, at the gathering points. It's hard now because of COVID, COVID that we don't have these gathering points like we did before, mm-hmm. you know, like we did, you know, where we could distribute that information. But people need to start taking it, like, it affects your life. Like, this stuff, these people are making decisions that will directly affect your life. If your kid's going to get a good, good education, you're going to have a, a, a pothole, you have good streets, good sidewalks, you know, working on bringing new businesses into your community, you know, economic development, all these things are so important. Now, all that stuff affects you, but it's almost like they like to keep it a secret. They like to keep it a secret. We don't want these people to know what's going on. We don't want them to know what's happening behind the, you know, like the, like the Wizard of Oz, you know, like behind what's happening, you know, what's it going They don't want, like that information goes out there and, it's a scary thing, too, to go in front and speak in front of the city council and tell them you're going to tell your representative they're not holding their end of the deal. That's a scary thing, but we need to get past that. We need, we need people to be like, to go in there and be like, hey, you're not getting it done in this community. What are you doing? What was happening here? Why are we, why are we, you know, why, if we're going to vote you in, we expect you to do something or, but there's a lot of other factors that allow you to be, you know, actually get stuff done. But if I see my representative out there, going to bat for their community, like, hey, my community needs better schools. We need more, you know, our after lunch, our after school, you know, programs are not there. We need those for our kids. And I see my representative going out there and being like, hey, I'm talking to the mayor. I'm talking, I'm lobbying that in with the city council that we need to allocate more funds to this. And the rest of the, you know, they can't get the votes. Hey, you know, that's just, it's the way it works and it sucks because they need more, you need more people to get on vote with you, to agree with your things. As long as they're going, that you know they're making that effort. You'll but you'll see representatives that just they're just there collecting the paycheck, shaking hands, and that's it. They're not doing anything. And then you need to be as we need to let representatives know if you go there or not. You're not swinging for us. Then it's time for you to get off the plate. You know, get you. You know, find something else to do. Sorry, how do you count for uh, the lobbyists? Against that, if you're a civilian uh, group, right? I've got a bunch of signatures, and but uh, I got a, a corporation or an organization that's got lawyers well, looking. It would take a Supreme Court thing to change that, because when the Supreme Court ruled that a, a corporation could be considered a person, that's what made it. That's what made it so tough with all these lobbying and how corporations get money into politics. When they ruled that a, a corporation could be considered the same as a person, that changed the whole, that changed the game. So we have to take, if you take money out of politics, you make lobbying, like that. how, how lobbyists work and how, how much money they dump into these lobbyists to go speak to representatives and, you know, grease some palms and get, you know, and get what they, we need to take money out of politics. It should be, we need to have... We gotta get rid of super PACs because you can donate you can donate unlimited amount of money to a super PAC. Unlimited amount of money. I could join a billion dollars to a super PAC. And they got super PAC and distribute money however they see fit to any campaign, anything that they want. But I can donate unlimited amount of money to them. We gotta get rid of that. You can't be able to give unlimited amount of money to a political campaign. You can't be able to do that. We have to get rid of that. That's that's where the problems are coming from. Like when I know that if I vote a certain way I'm going to get a huge check to the super PAC that I benefit from. That just corrupts the whole system. I think we need to go back to like where we have debates on TV. We, you know, that you, everybody gets a chunk of time on, on, you know, regular, you know, on regular television. 
you know, you get a chunk of time where we get to hear what this candidates about, they get to debate, they get to talk about their things. Mm-hmm. It's on every single channel. We have multiple touch points throughout the year through the election cycle where these people get to talk, where you can't run a political, you can't run a, an attack ad commercial. You can't, so we have our representatives in a room talking about what the issues are, and we have people asking them questions, people from the community. You have, you know, you get to go there and say, hey, my school is not performing well. My, you know, my, our kids are not scoring well. They're not learning. They're not reading well. They're not learning math effectively. What are you going to do? How are you going to allocate more funds in my school? They answer these questions instead of it being businesses controlling what happens. You know, mm-hmm. like I think we need it's really money in politics. We have to get money out of politics. If it's, you know, but it's it's one of the hardest things because there's it's a whole machine behind all that. It's profitable. You know, it's profitable for these. You know, they, they've, they've shown that a million-dollar donation equals X amount of millions of dollars for them when they get their policy passed. So it's just good business. If I donate this amount of money, I know on the other end, when I get my policy passed, I'm going to make out 10 times more out of that, you know? So would you take corporations out of it completely and just have, like, a limit to what each individual, across the board, what each individual can contribute? And then that way look yeah, more... Yeah, we have a contribute. Yeah. We have like twenty five hundred bucks. I think you can, as an individual, direct donating directly to a, a candidate. Mm-hmm. It's the super PAC that we have to get rid of. These super PACs, of these political action committees, we have to outlaw those. Those are illegal. We can't have a super PAC anymore. So all you can give is the max amount twenty five hundred dollars a year to a candidate. That's where it ends. You know. So leave the questions in, the- but put a cap on them too. Like you can only do twenty five hundred. You know, going to do 2500 bucks, you know? And if a business wants to get 2500 bucks, let business get 2500 bucks. It holds, enough, holds the same power as somebody, an individual, giving 2500 bucks, mm-hmm. you know? But it's, but that's how it gets, it gets, that's how politics get dirty when I can give, donate a million dollars to Donald Trump, you know, for America, a political action committee, that, you know, you know, that's, it's not okay. It's not okay to have, be able to do that. But it's going to take it. To, that's going to have to be challenged. It has to go to the Supreme Court. You know, yeah. be able to change that. You know. Speaking of the Supreme Court, what do you see happening in the future? Uh, you've already got the Republican nominee uh, going through her first round of questioning. What are your thoughts on that? With my thoughts, I, I think it's rushed. I think you have a bunch of hypocrites. On the Republican side, saying that when Obama wanted to put his nominee to the Supreme Court up, oh, it's an election year. Let the people choose. They're, you know, this is what people are voting on. They're voting on the bill. Who's going to put another Supreme Court justice in there? You're a lame duck president, you know. And then you have Lindsey Graham saying, you know, hold my words against me, you know. And then he's out there, well, well, what I really meant was when you control the Senate and the presidency, you could do what you want to do. That's really what I meant. I was like, that's just, oh, it's just, it, I was so upset about it. I was so upset about this, like, because you're, it's having a different starting line all over again. You're, because the president and the Senate are the same party, so now you can do what you want to do, and it's, it's like being a hypocrite. It just made me extremely upset, you know? It made me extremely upset because they're talking this, mad game of what's good for me is not good for you you know like i don't like this and and that their nominee that they have up there she acts like she's not a oh i'm an originalist and, you know how the framers 
you know, intended the Constitution to be interpreted. That's how I'm going to interpret the law. Well, we're having how the framers, how, was, how the Constitution was written in 17, you know, 87 or 1781 or whatever when the Constitution was written. We want to use how, what their thought process was back then. They were, you had to own land, it had to be a man. That's what those were who wrote their Constitution. And now you're going to interpret it in their eyes? No. Like, that's the worst thing for this country. It's the worst thing to have an originalist uh, point of view on how the Constitution needs to be interpreted. It was, you were three-fourths of a person, you know? You know, people couldn't vote. If you're a woman, you couldn't vote. If you were black, you couldn't vote. You, if you're a woman, you couldn't own land. You had that. Your husband was the only one who could own land. If you're black, you couldn't even vote or own land. You were, you're working in, you know, you're working, you're a slave. You know, like, and that's how we're supposed to interpret the Constitution? Right. Like, really? It's the last thing that we need to have. And then she's going to undo all these things. Like, I mean, whatever your view is on about, you know, a woman's right to choose, you know, like, that's, yeah, that's, that's between... The woman and her medical provider. That's been here. That's you know whatever you feel about it. That's that's what's good for you. May not be good for your neighbor, but your neighbor should have that opportunity to have make that decision right. if she so fits, wants to make that decision. You know, I if I was in that situation, maybe I wouldn't. I would feel differently. You know, but I'm also a man. I'm not a woman. But but we need we need to have people need to. Have, we can't get rid of Rovers away, and that's what they want. They want to get rid of. Bring it down to the states, and the states decide if abortion is legal or not. No, that doesn't need to happen. The Affordable Care Act. We need, we need people need like health care is a human right. That's a human right. That's how we keep people working for low wages, working, working themselves to death. Is because they don't have health care because they have to go to work sick. They have to go to work injured. They can't, you know. Like, I, I, I would say, because I know how important health care is, because I, I, for a time in my life, I didn't have health care, and I needed to have a surgery. And I had to pay for that out of pocket. Wow. You know? So I know how, so we, you want to strike that down? Because when the Supreme Court does something at the Affordable Care Act, which they're trying to challenge, coming up through the court, I think they'll have a court case waiting in the, in the hopper to go up to be seen before the Supreme Court to see if the Affordable Care Act is constitutional or not. Is the moment they say they say it's unconstitutional, twenty some million people instantly lose their health insurance. That happens. Then a hundred and something odd people, hundred something odd million people have pre-existing conditions. Now can be either be dropped off of their health care or can lose their health or lose their health care entirely, instantaneously. When that happens. So let me ask you this: If they have control of the presidency and the House and the Senate when Trump first got elected, yes. Do I have the right? So do they have the right to do that if they control the House, Senate, and the presidency? Yeah. Like they had a, they they had a chance to, if they wanted to, they could have gotten that, um, gotten it, or at least, you know, re changed some things around. Yeah, they could have changed everything because if you control the House, the Senate, and the presidency, right. you can do pretty much whatever you want now because you have the votes in the House. Mm. You pass whatever bill you want there, it goes to the Senate, and you can pass the bill there, and then the president can sign up. You can do whatever you want at that point. So what about this you know? for a theory? What about this for a theory? Uh, Roe v. Wade, right? Yeah. Um, they know their base. They know a lot of it is, um, I guess, Christian-based or, or whatever you would. I'm not really sure of the groups or whatever. 
But you know, that's become a traditionally Republican stance as to be pro life yeah. over pro choice. Um, I feel like it's more of a we want to have the appearance of changing that. I, I'm one of those who I don't think they're kind of actually trying to just get rid of it. You know, it's so complex and what that means to just do away with it. I think it's beyond them. I think they've shown with the Affordable Act care or, or the, you know, Obamacare. I, I think they've shown their hand and they got their bluff called, you know, because the whole time during you know, Obama's term was like, we're going to get rid of X, Y, Z, and then they didn't. You had the House, Senate, and the presidency. And they just didn't. I, I feel like it's that thing that Trump says. We're just gonna. You just say things, and they'll believe it. Their base. Yeah. Their base is gonna be solidified because you just keep saying it and looking a certain way. You keep doing this horrific policies, and going to make sure you got the camera showing you praying. And boom, I got the evangelicals. You know, you keep saying that you're pro-life, but you're not making any headways and in, in changing it to match for your policies to match that and boom you still you know solidify your base you know i think it's a bunch of smoking mirrors and it's a, it's a lot of posturing like so i i don't know I, i'm one of those who i try to just take a breath and say okay you know when they had a chance to do some uh, very real damage you know they didn't because there's a lot of checks and balances for one for another thing is it's um I, mean, i think they know for the most part the the biggest pitfalls right like just getting rid yeah. of all that health care all in once like they knew it was gonna one hurt their base probably more than anybody else right that's that's another thing that's not really talked about that much um that their base are the ones that's gonna going to um hurt the most right and all these so-called uh socialist programs are being used by people of their base uh, by the numbers more than you know democratic voters so uh, mm-hmm. I, I think they they're aware of that and they have to say and look a certain way but i think we just take a breath and you know i mean time will tell but i i, I really yeah. thought like obamacare was going to be gone when i saw when trump won i was like oh there goes obamacare better call my mom you know see if she can you know save and and try to figure out you know her health care needs like uh, i was one of those people like all right it's over you know, but nothing happened. And then, you know, now he's saying, hey, when you vote for me, I'm going to get the best health care. Like, well, what have you been doing these past three plus years? You know, and, you know, and then he rolled out this um, platinum plan for, you know, us black folks. And it's like, well, what have you been doing the last three plus years? You know, you keep talking about unemployment and the economy, like, Unless you're just completely ignorant to the fact that these things works, work in a natural wave, right? The ups and downs happen. How far up and how far down is where um, the president can cause some real you know, changes. But for the most part, like this is, we're still you know, eating off of a, a, an Obama um, economy, you know? Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know how, you know, I don't know how a... a a reasonable person is going to look at a president who's going back for re-election and saying, if you vote me in this time, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. When they haven't shown, especially when they had the House and the Senate at one point, they, they haven't shown any uh, real progress there. I don't know. 
Well, I think this is what this is what my my opinion on it all is. When it really comes down to all this stuff, like it's all of it, it's like peripheral stuff. Because really, where like ninety percent of people don't participate in the stock market. So when they say the economy is really good, you know, well, only it's only only ten percent of the population is invested in that, and yeah. you know, invested in the stock market. So you can't say that's making my life any better because. I'm, the vast majority of Americans don't, you know, are invested in the stock market. It's supposed to be more you know, of a trickle down economics thing. Like if these companies are doing well, it, they're paying their the you know they're getting the best insurance plan, Vision Dental. They're paying their employer, uh, their employees, a decent wage. Isn't that kind of how they're, we're supposed to look at it, even though it's not happening? Yeah, it's not happening because we because that trickle down economics. Only only benefits one group of people, the super wealthy. That's only trickle down economics. They get you all. Oh yeah, if the if the top does really good, we're going to do really good on the bottom. No, it, it don't work that way. If we need trickle up economics, that's how we make things better. You know, we need to do things for the bottom. If we need to we need to have a taxation system in this country that does not benefit the wealthy over the over the poor. You know, mm. I mean, we have we have. I mean, Amazon pays zero taxes, zero federal taxes, zero, and it's the it's the it's the largest corporation in the world. They pay zero taxes, mm. you know. So everybody's paying more taxes, contributing more to the tax base to our country than Amazon is. Like really, like we have a president who paid seven hundred and fifty dollars in federal taxes, seven hundred fifty dollars. Like that makes them smart. We need to change. We need to change the system, you know. We need to change that. Like, we need to change how we do that. We need to. We need to. We need to change the system where where the wealth, the, the super wealthy, and the corporate, the large corporations don't control the control the game like they do. Because you know what? Like they say, oh, we're going to hurt business. We're going to hurt jobs. Businesses want to make money. These large corporations that are controlling what's happening. They want to make money. They're just playing in the they're playing in the system that the game that they created. But we need to start controlling the rules of that game that you created. Mm-hmm. We need to have regulation. I think you know I you know the thing is I always say I have zero problems if if Amazon paid no no taxes if they if they did all their stuff in the United States. I have zero problems with that. They paid a living wage to all their employees. You know I would have zero issues with that. You know with these. When we move all this stuff where it's cheaper to produce products in other countries than it is to produce that in, in, in our country and ship it on a boat, it's cheaper to do that. And I say, if you want the, we want this incredible tax breaks that you get, you have to have those jobs in the United States. I have zero problems if a corporation providing living wages, decent pay, good benefits to their employees. In the United States, I have zero problems if they had to pay federal, they paid no federal taxes. I have zero problems with that because that is, do you have people, if your employees are doing well, what are they doing? They're going out, they're going to the movies, they're buying food, they're buying cars, they're buying clothes, they're buying all these things that contributes to the broader tax base and the broader good of your community. It builds it up, the economics. Mm-hmm. Like, all that stuff gets paid back. But when I think it's now how bad they've gained the system, that we're going to fail right now. Like, we're, we're, our country is failing right now because of that. We have so many people that are underemployed, Aren't working. We have the, I think, in the of any like industrialized country, we have the least amount of able-bodied people in the workforce. Well, you know, so with any, 
Yeah, we have the least amount of able-bodied people. We have people who quit looking for jobs because they can't find gainful employment out oh, there. Right. Okay. You know? So we have so when we say, "Oh, our, our our unemployment is it's not the real it's not the real picture of what's going on." They say unemployment exists. Like get rid of the COVID unemployment before COVID hit. When it says our unemployment rates are at the lowest, but out of you know out of a hundred people that are able-bodied workers, only sixty-seven of them are actually have a job. You know, like that's terrible. So that's thirty-three so they, people that are able-bodied who stop looking for work. Are they not? Uh... So they're not included in that unemployment rate? Nope. Ooh. So the people, like if I'm able-bodied and uh, I'm of age and all that good stuff and I'm not actively looking for work, I don't count as unemployed? Nope. Wow. If you say I quit, look, I quit looking for work, you're not counting as unemployed anymore. You kind of have to, they count you that that other able-bodied people not seeking employment. You're not considered unemployment. Un, unemployed. Wow. So that, is that including college kids? So I I, I, I don't think that would I mean that might include college kids, but a good chunk of college kids are are working too. So they would be they would be in the in the be in the bracket being counted as employed individuals or they'd be counted as the unemployment thing. I mean the ones it's, who are who are so they're not with like they're not um withdrawing any unemployment benefits. They're not looking for, you know, a factory job or anything. They're looking for specific jobs in their um I guess what do you call it? Field. <laughs> Sorry. In their field, right? Uh, is that something? I think it goes for a certain amount of time. I think what I think we were talking about is a certain amount of time that you're out of the job market for. Then you would drop out and you would be considered unemployed. I think so. I think maybe I, I don't. I, I I would have to look more into that. But I think maybe a college student who graduated who's looking for a specific job in their field would not be included. Wouldn't be a person that would be included in the unemployment right. stata. You know, wouldn't be counted as that. So we're pretty top heavy. This country is right. So yeah. Was, you know, the idea of, of trickle down economics is you take care of these corporations with the tax cuts and you know all this, all these incentives for them, and they then are going to pass it on to their their workers, and then the workers are going to spend the money and then you know, mm -hmm. repeat. Um. So with the minimum wage staying uh relatively low, right? With the, uh, you know, we're still, you know, like my wife and I still have to pay a considerable amount of taxes where these corporations aren't having to pay any. Like, so all of these things that are just kind of like stacked up against helping, you know, the regular uh, worker, uh, I don't I don't see that being fixed, at least not anytime soon, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it does have to change. We have to change, like, we can change that quickly, that how Trump passed his tax cut. We can pass tax, we can revamp the tax system. It's easy. So just passing policies that change the tax system. But Trump did always, it. Sorry, aren't they always going to find a way? I mean, they got a team of lawyers that are on retainer. That All they do is figure out how to, um, you know, manipulate this system. But we have, but, but the government has teams of lawyers that could do battle against that, you know? Yeah, but so here's where it looks bad and a little bit shady, right? 
you know, the government has their lawyers, the company has their lawyers, but then the company has their lobbyists, right? You know, most of these billion-dollar companies, a third of their, their, um, I guess their, uh, their money goes towards research and development, and within that is, one, how do we use that Facebook information in order to sell more efficiently to the people, and two, you know, people on the hill lobbying. So how do how do you combat that where the company so you have the government who's supposed to be watching the people or working for the people and then you have the company over here and they got the both got their separate teams of lawyers, but then you also have this connecting fiber which are are the lobbyists. That's that's a hard one. That's I was you know mm. Because it's, it's hard to say because what, like, what is considered lobbying, you know? Like, it's a special interest talking to a representative about a specific policy that they want or certain actions they want to take, you know, to be passed or pushed forward. And there's a lot of money in it because it's effective. Because it's effective in that they know that there's something that comes along. But that lobbyist says that I will get money donated to your campaign to get you elected if you push these, this, put this agenda forward. Like, how do we get rid of that, like... It's by taking money out of politics where that doesn't matter where that you get take that tool away from a lobbyist where that lobbyist can't donate X amount of money to your campaign mm -hmm. by passing this thing. So if there's no incentive now, you're getting rid of because right now it's a money incentive for the representatives. Like they're using their money and power to wine and dine that representative, get X amount of money donated to their campaign. Well, if that money, if there's no way for you to donate, you know, X amount of dollars to the campaign that that holds no power now over that representative. You're not really doing anything extra for me. You maybe buy me a nice steak, but that's not going to get a policy passed. You know, right. you know. So if you take that out, and then then now that also takes if if lobbying, if you do you start clipping their wings on things that they can do these little things. Now it makes paying these lobbyists all this money makes it ineffective for businesses that employ lobbyists now. Mm -hmm. You know because if if these lobbyists can't do this backhanded deals anymore by giving money into political campaigns and, you know, stuff like that, then you, it starts becoming where it's not effective anymore, where we can, policies will start being passed where these, your, your friends giving you money don't work anymore, you know? I don't know if I'm explaining it very well, but it's, no, it's I, really, I'm it's getting rid of that money out of politics, yeah. clipping the different ways that money's used to influence what happens. You start clipping these things one by one, it starts, we'll start getting a, a, a representation that actually represents the people, too. You know, it's, it's like, yes, we need, it needs to also be easier for the average person to run for public office, too. You know, where you don't need this huge amount of cash to run for office. You know, you don't need all this stuff anymore. You know, things are getting people who are actually from the community, who... Know, you know, know their, actually know their constituents, you know, grew up in the community, know what's going on, have a finger, actually have a legitimate finger on the pulse of what's happening, you know, single mothers, we need single mothers that are representatives, you know, that are representing our, our people, and, you know, they can speak from a base, from a place of true knowledge of what it is, what it takes to run a household like that, you know, what it takes to get through a day, what these things were, if we pass this specific policy, like we're childcare, like we're having universal childcare, what that would do for be able for us, someone to get out of their situation? Because a lot of times, you know, women, you know, 
you have children, they need to be taken care of. I can't sit in the classroom with my, you know, with my children with me. I mean, I mean, if I was an educator, I wouldn't have an issue with that, right. you know. Now, I, I would be like, hey, you know, you know, but like having these uh, these things that help people change their situation. That's what we need. We need to have more things. Education needs to be more affordable. You know, we need to have going because what is because education is the is a, is a tool to change your having is something that can't be taken away from you when you're educated. It's something that can't be taken away from you. Once you have, once you get that piece of paper, you get a college degree, a social degree, a technical certificate that can never be taken away from you. They can never take that away from you. They can take your car away from you. They can take your house away from you. They can take an arm away from you, but they can never take away your education from somebody. Mm. And with education, it, it, it changes your, it changes your opportunities in this world. It changes your opportunities. So that's why they want to restrict people from getting educated because when you're educated, you have more opportunity, you have an ability to get a better job, you have ability to provide more for your family, you have ability to provide, you know, to add to society, and that's why they want to take it away from you. You know, that's why they want to make it more expensive. They want to make it harder to get it because they know what education does. It changes your it changes your social economic status. It changes how people view you. Because if somebody says, like, hey, you know, you know, Mary over here, she's got a, a, a college degree in psychology. Oh, man, that's, that, that comes with prestige. People respect that. They respect that you put in that amount of time to do that. Mm -hmm. A job respects that. It shows, it shows when you're applying for a job that you are able to put to keep yourself together enough to be able to complete something. So, hey, you know what? If I give you this job, that's like a... You know, I have a high probability that you're going to be successful in this job because you were able to show that you're able to get this degree. You know, and so they, so but how do you keep how do you keep wages low? How do you keep all this stuff? You keep wages low by not allowing people to get education to better their situation, making college more expensive. We live in a state where you know college education is a lot cheaper than other states and other communities, our state colleges and our community colleges are a lot cheaper, but still costs money. You don't have anything when you're, you're making a minimum wage. Do you think you have enough money to pay that, you know, the couple hundred bucks it takes to take a class at a community college? No, you're just trying to, you're just trying to keep your lights on. You're trying to keep your, you know, food and water. You're just trying to get the necessities. So we made, but the thing is that we have all of that money available. We can do all those things. We can make college more affordable. We can have universal child care for everybody. We can have universal health care. We have all of that money available. All of it's there. But we choose to spend it on other things that are controlled by the people that are on top. The 1%, the corporations, and the super wealthy people are controlling. I sound like, I sound like, a, like a socialist communist right now. But I, I, don't, I, I believe... I, I, I believe in like a people-centered capitalism is what I believe in because free market allows us to make money, allows businesses to be profitable. About people-centered capitalism, where we're taking care of our worker because a worker that's taken care of is a more productive worker who can do better work for you. I like that. So which like makes your company you, more profitable. Like kind of rebranded it there. Uh, yo, how'd, how'd you put it again? Uh, people-centered people capitalism. People-centered capitalism. And see, look, here's what's going to have to happen. I'm going to have to invite you back on so we can talk some more about these things. And, you know, so can I 
You like get that commitment from me? You gonna come back? Yeah. Awesome. Put on my soapbox. So next time we can talk about possibly the election <laughs> results and then your campaign, because you sound like man, you're you're very close to getting into that line of work, man. That sounds great. I'd vote for you. You vote for me? Thanks. You're my first vote. It's on here now that you. I got is. my first vote. If I ever is. run for. Right, I, I always say I'm going to run for a school board. Is what I'm going to run. If I ever run for anything, is I'm going to run for a school board. Because I feel like that K through 12 or pre-K through 12 mm. is a pivotal time and 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 in our in our children's lives. Mm-hmm. It's having a stable, well-rounded education sets up more sets up to have better people in our community, a better society, and uh, a more productive society. So I always say, like, if I've ever run for office, it's going to be for school board because I feel like if I can influence, you know, how a school system is run and effectively change that, mm-hmm. it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay tenfold out in the community with the, with, with the students that are being produced. Well, look, you know? I'm, I'm going to act as your uh, campaign manager, and that's just the stepping stone to uh, bigger things, so... I'm going to go ahead and say it now. Thanks for being on, Senator. Look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, thanks.